Hi! Hey! Welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, and those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? That launched me on a faith journey looking to to answer that question, looking to the history of the Catholic faith, the history of of Christianity, the history of the Bible, and everything in between and and beyond. And it was then that I realized that what I thought I knew about Catholics as an evangelical Christian was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not on simple misunderstandings. I didn't know what I didn't know. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap, the gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week, I have, gosh, maybe one of my favorite conversations ever in the four years of doing this podcast. I am joined by Michael O'Neill, the Miracle Hunter, to talk about these absolutely mind-blowing miracles that uh, even Christianity, Protestant Christianity, just kind of can't explain. I'm talking about miracles around the Eucharist, the real presence of Christ. Miracles involved with Marian apparitions, involved with the stigmata, involved with saints. These miracles that are distinctly Catholic. These weird kind of strange miracles that really stop the Protestant Christian in their tracks. I would have been one of these guys looking at these miracles. Stopped in my tracks and and have to ask, well, how does this make sense? Why did God allow this thing to happen? This doesn't fit in my paradigm of understanding of Christianity. Well, there are two responses in that case to, well, I guess, ignore that miracle, just discount it as a hoax or not possible to have happened, or to begin to enlarge or investigate your own paradigm. I know for me, when I encountered miracles associated with, with Mary, the prayers of Mary, Marian apparitions, the, that caused me to ask, well, why would God allow Mary to appear? How would Mary possibly answer prayers and, and, and do miracles through Christ if Mary was not who the Catholic Church said that she was? So these kinds of stories, these kind of amazing miracles, I I bring them to you via Michael O'Neill and the incredible work that he is doing to to, to stop and pause and, and look at these and ask, well, how are these happening? What does it mean for me and my understanding of my faith? I think that's their purpose, and I think the purpose is, is served well here in these amazing, absolutely incredible stories that Michael has to tell this week on the show. This episode is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic and our one-time sponsors at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. This is not my full-time job, so your help sponsoring and supporting this show makes it possible to do this week after week, and you have my absolute thanks for your support of the show. Those links are in the show notes. If you want to know how you can support the show, check out those links and, and see how you can be somebody that can help this thing to keep on going and growing week after week. So thank you for those who are supporting the show, and thank you who are considering maybe you want to support the show as well. And now, without any further ado, my absolutely fantastic off-the-hook conversation with Michael O'Neill, the Miracle Hunter. This is one for the record books, guys. I hope you love it. <laughs> Please listen and enjoy. Hey, 
Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. If you are watching on YouTube, please hit the bell and subscribe to the channel. Do all those fun things you do on YouTube and share this video with some friends you might think uh, might enjoy this. If you're listening on podcast, thank you. Make sure you subscribe. Follow this show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please leave a rating or review. Those help to push the podcast out to new people. And uh, we'd love you to do that. And for others to hear more, to hear this awesome episode, because this is going to be a good one, guys. I am joined this week by uh, Michael O'Neill. He is the Miracle Hunter. Uh, you can find his show, his shows on EWTN. They're fantastic. He's the author of a number of books as well, including They Might Be Saints on the Path to Sainthood in America and Science and the Miraculous, How the Church Investigates the Supernatural, out from Tan Books. Michael, thank you for being here. Welcome to the show and hello. Thanks. It's great to be with you. I, I, I am I'm stoked to have you on the show, Michael. I love your stuff. I followed your work for a long time because this is really the exact kind of wheelhouse of, of what this show does in, in large part. So I'm a convert to the Catholic faith. Uh, listeners to this show, uh, many of them are, are looking into the Catholic faith, are, are new Catholics. And I got to tell you, uh, Michael, for, for me as a, a non-Catholic uh, Christian, I would encounter these strange things I could not explain in my paradigm. So, for example, like like Mary in demonic possession cases, like why why mm. a, a priest calling on Mary w- would help, right? As Protestants, we could understand that because Mary wasn't who she is to us as, as Catholics, right? Uh, miracles around the Eucharist or, or Marian apparitions or miracles that the saints were able to somehow, quote-unquote, per- perform. These things to the non-Catholic Christian is is something that, that has to stop you in your tracks and make you either go, okay, well, well, how does that make sense? How is that possible? How is this guy cured of this thing? Because a saint, you know, answered prayers. What does that mean? It, it makes you either, you know, wrestle with that. And and perhaps in my case, in the case of many who listen to this show and who have who've become Catholic as a result of, of thinking of these things, have to enlarge or, or change that paradigm and go, okay, so these things are happening. So how do I explain these things and and still believe in the God that I understand as an evangelical Christian, right? It, so I, I love these kinds of uh, of things because yeah, they they make you go what <laughs> and stop and ask those questions. So 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 thanks for bringing them to us uh, and so many in, in such a fantastic way. I want to ask you first of all how you got involved in doing this. How did you become? <laughs> The quote unquote miracle hunter, because that's that I mean that's a, a crazy cool title. I mean, it, it's <laughs> how what how did you stumble into this? What happened? I've, I've been interested in miracles uh, my whole life, and I think that uh, I can probably attribute that to uh, to my mother. Uh, probably uh, growing up, uh, I grew up in a Catholic household, and um, you know we, we knew a lot about uh, the saints and Mary and all that sort of thing uh, growing up. Uh, but miracles were always very important to us as a family. And I think that uh, one of the family miracles we always talked about is uh, the the reversion of my grandmother. She had fallen away from the Catholic faith. And uh, when she was, when my mother was young and uh, it was, uh, my mother prayed to Our Lady of Guadalupe. And you might look at me and say, hey, that guy doesn't have a drop of Mexican blood in his body. And it's true. Um, but for whatever reason, in 1950s white America, uh, my mother had a devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. And when her gra- her mother fell away from the Catholic faith, she kind of made a deal with God, as, uh, as we uh, believers like to do. And she said, you know, 
God, if you bring my mother back to the faith someday, uh, when I grow up, I'll become a school teacher. And on every December 12th, I will tell my children the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And if you bless me with any children, I will teach them the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe uh, every December 12th, the story of the Tilma and those miracles. And so I wouldn't be telling the story if I didn't hear it all the time. And I still hear it every year to this day. My mother tells me the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe because uh, her mother came roaring back to the Catholic faith and she died a good Catholic. And uh, so ever since that story of Juan Diego and the Tilma and Our Lady of Guadalupe and the conversion of all the Aztecs and the whole deal. I heard it you know, uh, every single year. And for me, it became the, the second greatest story ever told. And so by the time I got to Stanford and I took an archaeology class and in that class, I studied, I uh, wrote a paper on Our Lady of Guadalupe because that was, the professor said, write about an artifact. And of course, that's my favorite artifact in the entire yes. world. And, uh, <laughs> And when I studied that, I, you know, I, I knew a little bit about miracles and about Guadalupe and Lourdes and Fatima, but um, I didn't know that, that there were thousands of miracles that the church has uh, commented on. And I didn't know that uh, the church actually said that they were worthy of belief. I thought it was kind of popular devotion or pious belief or tradition or whatever it was. Uh, um, but I didn't know the Catholic church issued formal statements and, you know, basically stuck its neck out there and said, these crazy miraculous things are really happening. So, um, so I said, you know, someday when I grow old, I'm going to study miracles. And, uh, it was a few months later when I grew old and I got the advice <laughs> of Condoleezza Rice, who was a vice provost at Stanford at the time. And wow. she gave this nugget of wisdom which was become an expert in something and she said that she was an expert in one tiny aspect of Czechoslovakian military history in one year and she knew more about that one thing than anybody else on the entire planet and I thought that is so cool what do I want to become the world's expert in and you know I thought back to uh, my mother and I thought back to all those uh, miracle stories I had kind of uncovered and my promise to myself to someday study this stuff and I said okay. And uh, that's when I registered miraclehunter.com. It was probably 1999. <laughs> it's lots of years ago before people were, were really registering websites, but I did that and I filled it up with stuff. Uh, every miracle story I could come across that I could investigate a little bit that I thought other people might care about. I loaded it to my site and maybe there are 2,500 Marian apparitions on my site now, uh, alleged and approved. And, <laughs> and I secretly did that. And, uh, I didn't tell my mother. I didn't tell my friends. I didn't tell my girlfriend. I didn't tell my employer. I was a engineer. And so engineer by day, miracle hunter by night. And, uh, slowly, slowly I started building up the site and then, and very secretly people would email me, ask me questions about Medjugorje or whatever other thing. And I'd write back, but I'd always sign the emails, uh, MH miracle hunter. You know, I never put my name on the site or anything, but you know, then, um, uh, Dr. Oz and Megan Kelly and Natural, National Geographic and History Channel and speaking engagements and book offers and all these other cool things that started happening to me. I started saying yes to them and I had to I had to get out there with with my name. And so I eventually stopped uh, formally being an engineer. Maybe I'm an engineer at heart always, but uh, that that's kind of how the whole thing launched. And Mary keeps opening these doors for me and I keep walking through them. So uh, maybe I'm not the world's expert yet, but I'm getting close. So that's, uh, that's wow, the path, yeah. Wow. Michael, that is an amazing origin story. I thought you were going to say, ah, I took a course <laughs> in high school and I, I enjoyed it. That was, 
<laughs> That's amazing. Uh, gosh, because you, you, you talk about, and, and I have had guests in the show for all different reasons and different things, and, and you, you talk about seeds that are planted and that, that come to fruition. I mean, what an amazing thing to think that, you know, you, you know your mom makes this promise, and then the the seeds of her fulfilling that promise to, to God is sharing with you this miracle story, which then interests you in miracles. Which then, like you can, I can go on, I can go on and expand it, but you can you can see the the beautiful way that that thing grew, just the the the, the seeds of that. I think that's a, that's amazing. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange thing, but I feel like uh, with my life, I'm continuing that promise that yeah. my mother made, and uh, and we're doing it together in a certain sort of way. Oh, so it's pretty great. That's amazing, and and to think of the the thousands of people that you're impacting with with the work that you do now that expands that those, gosh, the the fruits of that labor is just is just amazing, Michael. I think that's incredible. I, yeah, I really, you know, my, the whole, people ask me why I do this. <laughs> Maybe my friends ask me, you know, why, 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 why be the miracle hunter? And, you know, I think I'm, I'm motivated by cracking the door open. You know, I, I don't know who's going to necessarily get all the way to the Catholic Church as a result of miracles. Maybe some people do, but. People like you, maybe, and others who are interested in Catholicism or were interested in Catholicism, and they have these questions about what is that? You know, what, what are these Marian apparitions? What, are, what is this stigmata or miracles of the saints or all these things? And what if they're real anyway? And, you know, that was my favorite part of the National Geographic uh, uh story and map that I worked on. There's this map in the, in the, the layout of that magazine where there's thousands of Marian apparition claims throughout history. And I just want people to look at that map and say, yeah, what if a couple of those yeah. thousand are true? That's something, <laughs> right? So I just kind of want to crack the door open and, and make people, uh, you know, question and ask, ask more, you know, learn more. So yeah, I love that. Uh, that's, that's, that's my whole motivation. That's a great point. And I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine recently who's evangelical and I was talking about Lords and mm-hmm. I said, look, there's these so-and-so number of, of miracles. These are approved miracles or, or you know, healings and whatnot. And I said, even mm-hmm. if like a, a fraction of the, the approved ones that have been rigorously investigated, even if two of those say 50 are, are, are legitimate, how do you explain those? <laughs> right? If it's Mary mm-hmm. answering those prayers, I mean, that's, yeah, I love that. I love that tact. I, I, I want to talk about you know how we talk about miracles. So, the there's all kind of different kinds of miracles, right? I've told in this story before miracles that Padre Pio has has done for for me in this show to encourage me to keep on going. Right? I had this lovely story of of kind of praying, you know, unsure if I should keep on podcasting a year into this thing. I'm now I'm now four years in, but a year in, I wasn't sure if I should keep keep on going. And so I I said, you know, Padre Pio. Pray for me, you know, ask the Lord to give me some consolation that I might know I have to keep going in this. And I get an email, Michael, a minute later on my phone from this this guy, a listener to the show, saying, I love your show, it's fantastic, uh, you know, keep podcasting. And I laugh, like, ha, it's funny. <laughs> thank, thank you, Padre Pio. But the guy I signed the email, CEO of the National Padre Pio Center in America. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I love this story because I'm like, oh, Padre Pio sent a CEO to encourage me to keep working on the podcast, which is a great connection. But Padre Pio is my favorite, so uh, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't surprise me. One of my, my mine too, Michael, but, but those aren't the kind of miracles that you investigate, right? You, the miracles that you deal with, I mean, maybe that is, is, is in the wheelhouse, but you deal with some crazier miracles that you hunt for. So what are the kind of the categories of miracles that you're typically looking at 
that go beyond something as, as I, don't, I shouldn't say mundane. That's not mundane, Michael, but it, these are pretty cool miracles. <laughs> the yeah, no, I, I like to call them the capital M miracles versus the lowercase M yeah. miracles. You know, we all have these, you know, lowercase ones where we're, we're late for a meeting and we get five consecutive green traffic lights and get the, <laughs> the traffic light miracle. And that, that's legitimate, right? I mean, that's a real thing. But I like to look at these capital M miracles. And in my book, Science and the Miraculous, I, I think I have a chapter dedicated to each of these uh, very, you know, major miracle types. We're talking about Marian apparitions. We're talking about the healing miracles attributable to the saints. We're talking about uh, weeping statues and icons. We're talking about Eucharistic miracles. Uh, we're, we're talking about the stigma. Uh, these are the these are the major categories of miracles that we see in our church, and there are others, other major ones. You, you can't get around the miracle of the sun at Fatima. That's a that's the biggest one in modern times, you might say, with seventy thousand people at the COVID area uh, gathering for that last apparition of Our Lady of Fatima. I mean, that's that's a mega miracle. It doesn't fall into any of those uh, categories. So, uh, but those are the kind of the the big ones that that we see happening over and over and over again. Um, St. January is that blood miracle. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Um, you know, every, every September 19th, you get, you get the blood of a third century martyr, martyr, which is, you know, hard as a rock and then it liquefies and then the crowd goes wild and, uh, they go wild because it's a strange, freaky thing that they have in Naples, but also because it means there won't be a Mount Vesuvius blowing up or an earthquake or a natural disaster of some sort or coronavirus or whatever, whatever reason it doesn't liquefy that year. So that's, it's a pretty fun place to be. Go for the pizza, but stay for St. Januarius. But um, yeah, it's, it's pretty great. Um, the Catholic Church is chock full of all these capital M miracles. And I, I love to, you know, write these, write these episodes for EWTN and, and talk about them on a m- m- radio show. And it's, it's a blessing to get to bring these stories that a lot of people don't know about to the world. Yeah, it's so fun. I often describe these kind of things to listeners and, and, and guests and to, to, to friends and family as kind of the, the, that weird aunt, right? The weird aunt at, you know, at Christmas that you, you don't want your girlfriend to meet when she first comes to meet your family. You, you, she'll say weird things and she'll kind of freak you out. So you want to kind of keep her to the side until your girlfriend kind of knows the family and meets the family and gets to know everybody. And then you can bring the, the weird aunt out and she'll say all these crazy things. And, and But the girlfriend's more acclimatized to your, to your family and maybe likes you a bit more to, to hear those things. And I always think of these kind of things, like I mean, stigmata, Eucharistic miracles, these weeping mm-hmm. statues. These are the weird ant things of the Catholic, which are wonderful, and we we, you know, we love that ant, but mm-hmm. but they're they're weird sometimes, right? They're kind of they're kind of freaky, and and you hear those things, and you might kind of go as an outsider, like. Who are these people? Like, what's going on here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know it's it's weird, and um, you know. I was a respectable engineer at some point in my life, but uh, now I'm doing this. And I think, you know, my, my friends at, from Stanford, they, you know, they see me doing some of this stuff and they probably say, wow, that guy really, really went wild with, uh, with what he's doing. But hopefully I can lend a little bit of credibility to these things that, uh, Catholics uh, believe in these things or they acknowledge this phenomenon has happened uh, throughout history. And, you know, hopefully, you know, I can shed some credible light on, on some of these things because they, they are very interesting. And if they are true, they're worth looking at, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and here's the thing, right? So, I mean, in your latest book in particular, you're looking at, and I want to ask you this question next, how the church actually investigates these kinds of miracles. Because it's not as if the, the church 
just wide open, these are all okay and fine, like you believe this and, and this is fine, we'll all say that's great, right? The the, the superstitious kind of, uh, I almost said stigmata, the superstitious kind of like uh, idea that the church has got this, it's attached to, like that people see the church as this superstitious kind of institution sometimes, just accepting these miracles kind of with, with no discernment whatsoever, that's that's not how the church understand miracles it's it's a it's a rigorous process which which you detail so i wonder if you can give us a bit of a snapshot of how the church looks at miracles before they you know before they can say hey yeah this i think is is, is a miracle it's a pretty intense process right yeah and i think it's worth saying out out of the gate that um a couple things one is that when it comes to miracles, Catholics are not obliged to believe in anything outside the Gospels. Yeah. So any of these modern-day miracles that happen after the death of St. John uh, are completely optional. If they help our faith, if they help us grow closer to Christ, we can embrace them, we can celebrate them, we can really get into them if it helps us. But if we find them weird or distracting or uh, not authentic or you know confusing or whatever you want to say, that if they're not good for your faith, we can just leave them alone and just... You know, just say, that's fine, and that's for everyone else, but not for me. And even when the church judges a miracle, it says it's worthy of belief. It never says it must be believed or else, you know, it's yeah. uh, it's not a de fide thing. So uh, so the church handles that really well in, in that sense. And so, I mean, you can even talk about the most famous cases of all time at Fatima. You could say, oh, those children were just making it up. And that's that wasn't a real vision of Mary, or that was something else. You know, you could say that, and you'd you'd be a good Catholic if you if you believe that. Or uh, Lourdes, you could say those thousands of cures that have been claimed there, and the the many that have been validated. You know, science doesn't know what it doesn't know yet. So you know, I don't believe in those medical healings. You could say that, and that would be okay. Or Guadalupe, you could say that kind of looks like a painting to me. I don't really think that's a miraculously emblazoned image on the tomb of Juan Diego. You'd be okay if you said that but you know send me an email if you have any of those opinions those are three of our best ones but um so so yeah i think it's pretty pretty amazing and the other thing that's worth mentioning is that um the church isn't interested in finding and promoting miracles you know i think that protestants and otherwise and and some people say look at those catholics they're talking about miracles they're proving miracles they just they're running out of members they need people to come back into the pews and buy rosary beads you know that's what they're doing trying to make money or trying to keep their faith alive no i don't think so especially in modern times you know, when a, when a bishop experiences uh, someone in his diocese claiming a vision of Mary or, you know, a window with an image of Mary or whatever the thing is that the crowds are gathering, he's probably saying, oh, no, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want this. And you can even see in the, the cases of the very highly approved Marian apparitions in history, you see the local bishop basically every time saying, uh, get, find me a sign or I don't really believe this. Juan Diego, you know, Juan Diego, go find a sign to prove this is real because I, you know, I don't believe this. And so the bishop is always discouraging miracles and doesn't want to deal with miracles. So it's one of the worst things that he has to deal with on a large scale uh, when miracles are claimed in his diocese. So, so the church really isn't out there to promote miracles. So that's, that's worth saying, but all those things aside, your question was, how does the church approve miracles? And so um, 
every miracle type has a different uh, approval process. And in the book, Science and the Miraculous, I, I detail kind of the scientific inquiry when it comes to stigmata. For example, there are certain types of wounds that doctors look at. Uh, they look for you know psychological issues in cases of Marian apparitions, uh, you know, weeping statues and uh, formation of images. They might uh, do some testing to make sure there's no internal ductwork or a leaky pipe or a leaky ceiling or anything like that. Uh, they're always trying to rule out uh, hoaxes and these things, but probably the most detailed process is in uh, healing miracles used in canonization. So, um, you know, they, we might think that anytime there's a healing miracle, they might, you know, your parish priest might hop on the phone and call the bishop. And then, you know, the bishop might pick up his red phone and call the Pope who picks up his phone. And <laughs> we say, we've got a hot one. We got a miracle. and We're going to send in the miracle hunters. Well, it doesn't work like that at all. And I wish it did. I'd love to be on that team, but there's no such team. So I think that, you know, they're uh, healing miracles. They have a, it must be a, and it's the same criteria, Lambertini criteria named for Prospero Lambertini. He's an Italian cardinal born in the 1600s. And that criteria is still in use today at Lourdes and also in the Congregation for the Cause of Saints or the Dicastery now for the Cause of Saints. And um, so it must be a serious condition, not liable to go on its own. It must be an instantaneous, complete and lasting cure. And there can be no medical treatment related to the cure. And there can no be other no other crisis that precipitates the cure. So if you have one disease and a worse disease takes over, that doesn't count as a cure. Or you get hit by a car once you have cancer. It's you know that's not the thing. So um, so that's that's for healing miracles. And then it must be the intercession of just one saint, which to me is the hardest part. Right. You know, I pray to all my friends, the saints, when I'm in trouble, you know, hoping somebody up there picks up the phone. But, you know, when it comes to canonization miracles, it's got to be one person that you pray to, one future saint, not Padre Pio and St. Therese and all your favorites. And the future saint, you know, the Pope would say, we're going to go with Padre Pio, not the might be saint. So, um, so that's the that's a really tricky aspect as well. But when you talk about Marian apparitions, there's this 1978 document, this uh, Norms of the Congregation for Proceeding and Judging Alleged Private Revelations and Apparitions that came out sub-secreto, secretly in Latin, to all the bishops of the world. And it's the rule book that the church uses. And it's never been updated. It's never been replaced. And that talks about all the criteria of how a Marian apparition is to be judged. And they talk about the visionary. They must have good moral qualities. There must be uh, evidence that there's a supernatural character to the event. There can be no money-making, seeking of fame, with psychological issues. There's a whole list of criteria that that document uh, lists. And it's now been leaked to the world. You know, all documents get leaked to the world. So you can go to MiracleHunter.com to read that one now. But um you know, so they used that document, and even in the uh, 1859 apparitions of Our Lady of Good Help in Champion, Wisconsin, which is the one and only case in the United States, which was approved on December 8th in 2010 by Bishop David L. Ricken from the Diocese of Green Bay. If you read his statement, he's read that 1978 document because he he says line by line all the things, all the criteria are met in order to say that it is worthy of belief in the supernatural character of those events. And that's the only time in the United States that's happened. So um, when we talk about numbers, we talk about 
one Marian apparition approved. And we were talking about maybe 30 healing miracles in the history of the United States that have ever been used uh, for canonization of saints. And there have been no miracles at Lourdes that have been recognized from the United States. So those are all the miracles that we've got here in the United States. So uh, very long-winded answer to your question, but that's that's all I've got on that one. Well, and it, it tells you just how rigorous the process is that there's that few miracles kind of kind of approved and i guess even in spite of all of that process you still you, you tell us that even in that case we don't have to believe in those still we can still choose not to to, to believe in the miracles even though there's obviously that much rigorous oversight and investigation going going into their the process of approving those you can still say no no, no I, I i don't want to believe in those so i guess the question then is why why does the church uh, investigate miracles. Why does it take this, you know, approach to miracles uh, so so kind of careful in in documents? And and why does the church? I guess why does it say you don't have to believe in these? But why does it say there are some you can believe in? Like like what is the th- the the mind of the church when it comes to miracles? I guess in, in the in the modern world, you know, post apostolic kind of age. Yeah, it's a very very big question, and I'll try to answer uh, some of that. Um, <laughs> You know, I think that, you know, on a basic level, we all have a hunger for the supernatural, right? And I think that for all of us, we have ups and downs in our faith. And, you know, miracle stories are important to all of us on some level. And if you talk about Christianity in general, you've got to believe in miracles, right? The inter- yeah. incarnation and reg- resurrection, the bookend miracles. If you don't believe in those, sign up for a different religion because uh, that's that, that's all we've got. You know, that's what we've got. So, um, you know, I think that... Uh, why does the church go through the process of investigating miracles? Well, the history is, is that it didn't investigate miracles for a long time. And so we're talking about uh, up until the 1500s, 1545 to be exact, uh, the Catholic church up until that point had no formal process. And so, um, you know, I think it was just the, um, you know, a local community, a local parish priest, maybe the bishop would come, maybe they'd pray about it, and they'd say, does this seem like a miracle? Yes, miracle. You know, kind of like they do with uh, St. Januarius uh, that I referenced before. There's no, never been any formal church investigation, but, you know, when uh, that blood liquefies on September 19th, you've got a guy with a white flag saying, Maracolo, Maracolo, you know, and then the bishop blesses it and they call it a miracle, you know, but it's very informal in Naples there. So, uh, but at the Council of Trent, they started with the investigation of miracles. And why did they do this? One of the reasons why is because there were so many miracles being claimed all around the world and there was no formal process or nobody to say this was legit, this wasn't. And you talk about uh, specifically St. Bridget of Sweden. Uh, She's one of the great patrons of Europe and a great mystic. And she would have these visions, uh, incredible visions that were in a wide variety of topics. And she'd have visions about things like uh, when the Crusades should start and stop. So, you know, she would say those in Swedish and then in Latin they'd be transcribed and then the Pope would get those messages and maybe he'd do something about them. And then other times she would talk about uh, how to do your laundry well. Those would be other <laughs> visions that uh, that would come to her and those would be written down and disseminated. And so uh, I think 
partly she precipitated the need uh, for for people to say, okay, what's the formal process? What's an approved miracle and what's not? And so uh, the Council of Trent uh, initially said uh, the bishops were in charge uh, of, uh, of investigating miracles. And then later you have uh, perhaps in 1917, uh, they say the, the Vatican's in charge and then uh, it went back to the bishops. So it's kind of been a ping pong match back and forth, but it's a hot potato, really. Nobody wants it. I mean, when the Vatican was in charge, of investigating miracles they had so many miracles they didn't know what to do with so they gave it back to the bishop so uh perhaps the reason why miracles are investigated is because they do happen and the church has to figure out how to transmit that knowledge to the faithful and how to give the faithful guidance on what to do about these things especially when it comes to private revelation you know we can talk about healing miracles all we want or stigmata all we want or weeping statues all we want but what happens when there is a vision of the Virgin Mary and she's something supposedly and it needs to be figured out does that match up to church teaching you know, you don't want uh, uh, the Bible, the magisterium and this other you know, voice in the room of, you know, what Catholics should believe. So they needed to come up with a way of judging those private revelations and having a way that the faithful could embrace them if they were worthy of embracing, but also uh, shut them down if they were dangerous to, to questioning uh, the teachings of the church. So uh, so that is the reason why there is both investigation and approval but not uh, the requirement of belief. Yeah, that's great. And I want to know now for sure what th- this laundry hack is. There a, is there a is is this in a book somewhere? <laughs> Michael, <this> book? <laughs> yeah, it'd be a pre laundry machine. So uh, so I think it's not that useful okay. these days. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, pre- it's pretty fun uh, to know the history mm. of of uh, some of these great uh, people receiving visions throughout the ages. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I guess it, w- interesting to me that, that miracles, so there is a, right, there's a stream of, of Protestantism that says miracles are done, right? This doesn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I had, and I had, and I have friends in that kind of stream of Christianity that the miracles kind of ceased when the apostles died because miracles existed for, for Christ to confirm who he was, that he was, that he was God uh, for the apostles to confirm, yeah, this church is what Christ has kind of established. And after that, miracles were not required anymore. And so they don't happen anymore in the same way. Now, we, of course, don't don't believe that. And you, you have a website full of miracles that, that are, are pretty awesome. Uh, that would probably put a, a quick end to your, your life's work, Michael. But is there, does the church have, a, say, why? Why miracles Still happen today? Is there an easy way of explaining that? I, I can think of I can think of answers, right? To, to bolster our faith, to to demonstrate the the truth of the, of the Catholic faith, to to encourage more. I mean, I'm thinking of Our Lady of Guadalupe and the the, the the millions of 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 people who came to faith through that miracle. Is there an easy a way to understand what the Church says? Why these these still happen around the world? Yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, like you say, there are cessationists who say, you know, miracles have ceased. And um, but we know that um, miracles do happen. I mean, that's it's a it's a reality. We see we see the miracles, uh, you know, used in canonization causes. Uh, we, we see uh, miracles big and small happening in our lives and how they they bolster our faith and they assure us that God is there as a loving father. You know, I think that. Um, you know, I think that for, for many people, they understand God through how he works in our world. And these are the very clear, clear examples in ways. And when the church says it's worthy of belief, uh, we have that extra layer of support and then uh, confidence that, that, that 
uh, God is working in our world. So, um, you know, I think that uh, we all benefit from miracles in one way or another, whether we're receiving miracles or we're, we're hearing about them or we're praying for them. It's, it's all, it's all part of the process and it's all part of our faith. So I think uh, it really enriches our faith to have miracles. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So I want to dig into some of we, if we came with you, I don't know if you have a favorite, do you have a favorite category of, of miracles that, that contains some of your favorite miracles or, or are you more a, a generalist, Michael? Well, I, I have to say that, you know, my website, miraclehunter.com started out, um, being a research on Mar- a resource on Marian apparitions. And, um, since those early days, you know, I, I branched out and now my site has all the stigmatics and all the healing miracles and all the, uh, all the incorruptible saints and Eucharistic miracles. It's got the whole deal. Um, I'll answer it this way. I've al- I always love Marian apparitions. I think they're they're fascinating that the the Mother of God would walk amongst us. I think that's amazing, and and I love that there's a sort of a, a cultural twist to to all of it. And, you know, Mary doesn't appear the same uh, in any place. So I think that's pretty pretty interesting. Um, healing miracles are universal. You know, I was on I was on the Doctor Oz show at some point, uh, and. Uh, the reason they had me on there rather than talking about the stigmata or something else is because everybody likes healing miracles, right? I mean, even Protestants and otherwise, you know, when, when you see a good healing miracle, uh, you know, you can ignore if there's a saint involved, but either way, people, <laughs> people like that. But, um, I have to admit that, you know, especially in the, these years of Eucharistic revival, um, Eucharistic miracles are the most important miracle to talk about these days. And, um, simply because there's some science there that can really validate these. And uh, when it comes to miracles of all types, there are complications. They all require faith. We talk about uh, Marian apparitions. We talk about it must be the reliable witness, the reliable testimony of of a faithful uh, visionary. Uh, of course, in the case of Juan Diego and the, in the Tilma, that's a little bit different. We have a little bit of a, a proof positive with an object there, but everybody else uh, you, you have to rely on their testimony. And then you also uh, have to talk about uh, um, uh, stigmata, for example, some saints have, you know, the wounds in their hands and some in their wrists and some have six wounds and Therese Newman had 60 lash marks on her back and some have a crown of thorns and, some, you know, are there for their whole life and some just for some period of time. And, you know, there's a little bit of complication. Why does it work that way? Or you talk about incorruptible saints. Some are incorrupt for 50 years, some for hundreds of years. Some are partially incorrupt. And maybe you have a couple hundred saints out of 10,000 that are incorrupt. So, you know, why the variability there? You know, it's so you need need a little faith. Miracles are complicated, Um, you know. and, And so I think that, with all miracle types, you know, you, you, you can say, why don't we just show these to our Protestant friends and get them all on board with the Catholic faith? But, you know, there's always a loophole. There's always a missing piece that you, also, you, you can always say, I don't know. I'm not quite sure. It all requires faith. With Eucharistic miracles, I think there's more scientific proof with those than any other type of miracle. And I understand why Protestants and others don't want to get on board with them because, if they are real, you got to become Catholic. You got to, you know, there's no other choice in these cases where true flesh and true blood are made manifest on a Eucharistic host, um, you know, as validated by science. And what's, what's so interesting is it's not a matter of somebody could have just snuck in to a tabernacle and dropped some drops of blood on it. And then they let them discover it and they say, Oh yeah, that's a miracle. When they on a, on a microscopic level, the flesh and the and the and the bread are integrated 
in an absolutely inseparable way that's in, impossible uh, to uh, to replicate with any human technology. I mean, this is this is alien or divine technology at best. So, um, you know, I think it's it's mind blowing some of these Eucharistic miracles that have happened and. I don't know. It's 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 so interesting that there's no DNA, you know, in these samples. Because if there were, and they were able to con- uh, compare them, I think that'd be pretty interesting. But um, as of right now, there the DNA does not. Uh, it, there's missing DNA in the Eucharistic miracle samples, which is kind of interesting in and of itself, since God, you know, Jesus didn't have a human father. So that's pretty pretty interesting as well. So anyway, um, but yeah, Eucharistic miracles are my favorite. I'm writing a new book with you uh, about Eucharistic miracles for. Uh, for EWTN Publishing. And uh, I've got the website, eucharisticmiracles.com. So eventually I'll be loading that with uh, more information. And of course, the Eucharistic Revival is something that our whole church needs. So I hope to be involved in in a bigger way with that and spreading the word on Eucharistic Miracles. Well, that's awesome. I think that that's that's so cool because, and you're right about the the idea that you have to become Catholic. If you, <laughs> this is the one of the big things that differentiates us from non-Catholic Christians in the most part. I mean, some Anglicans perhaps have a certain idea of this in, in a certain way, but uniquely Catholics, uh, and I guess our Orthodox uh, brothers and sisters, in a similar way, right? We believe that in in communion, the, the blood, uh, sorry, the the wine and and the bread become uh, the the flesh and blood of Christ in a miraculous way. Now, not that I can put that under a microscope and and see see flesh the bread remains bread but apart from the appearance it is it is the body blood soul divinity of, of Christ we believe this as Catholic we believe this because Christ tells us this right for good reason the early church believed this too is passed on I mean this is there's good reasons why we believe this and so when there's times when that that real presence becomes real in the sense that we all of a sudden see human flesh or blood right that that seems to be, you know, miraculous confirmation that yeah, you guys are on the right track here. You know, God is saying, yeah, you're right. Here's a here's a miracle to kind of, you know, to to, to underpin your your belief here, right? And I love that you say it's either aliens or God, because of course, it could, be, could be aliens too. But but good reason to believe it's not. There's God doing this, and again, that's that that paradigm kind of shifting thing. Okay, so why? Why would God do that miracle, Michael, if he weren't try, you know, affirming the, the, the Catholic belief in, in the real presence? Because like, that's obviously going to mislead people who, who see this and experience this. Uh, why would God permit Satan to, to do a, a miracle? Like, that makes no sense. Like, in the logical, you follow the logic out, it's God or it's aliens, okay? And that has to be a paradigm shift either way. <laughs> either way, I think. So... Those miracles, yeah, that's so interesting. Can we talk a bit more about maybe I don't know? You you mentioned examples of of the flesh and the bread being intertwined. You mentioned kind of missing DNA. I've heard things like uh, there have been examples where it's the the tissue that appears there is is heart tissue under trauma. I've heard really cool things. I've also heard claims that in cases of of you know blood, it's the, the, often the same kind of blood type or blood that somehow we can see is under stress. Like again, there's leading to the claim that this has become Jesus, flesh and blood, the Jesus, you know, from the, from the cross, under under trauma, under pain. I mean, can we, are, are there, is that true? Is what I've heard true? Is there good examples of these these miracles happening? 
Yeah, and and uh, I encourage you to to look out for my book, which will be coming out uh, next year, <laughs> and I'm going to be laying out all those details. But it, but what you what you mentioned is all true. Is that um, on those Eucharistic uh, miracle samples, uh, they they found uh, heart muscle and uh, striated or tar- tortured heart muscle to be specific. And when you talk about blood types on each of the Eucharistic miracle samples all around the world uh, that that they've that they've examined, it's uh, blood group AB. And uh, you might say, is that a very common blood type? And and no, that's very rare, except amongst Middle Middle Eastern men. And then if you look on the Shroud of Turin, it's also blood group AB. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that that's mind blowing to me that that there's that correspondence and. You know, as as science develops, I I, I think we're going to see even more uh, more on, and along these lines. But uh, but yeah, there's definitely a correspondence amongst these samples. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, there haven't been that many Eucharistic miracles, about a hundred perhaps around the world. So, um, but you know, the fact that these case, cases do match, you know, again, like if, if the DNA was there, that would be you know everybody would have to convert on the spot. You know, if uh, the case in India matched the case in Mexico, matched the case in Italy, you know, but, uh, but right now the DNA is missing. So that's, that's interesting, but, but yeah, the blood, the blood type seems to, seems to correspond and the blood and the heart muscle and the correspondence with the shroud of Turin. So, you know, I think that, uh, I don't know that the more that comes out about this stuff, I think is going to be really eye opening for a lot of people. So it's just going to be a, a test of faith at some point. Yeah, I that that's fascinating, and and the fact that there's the correspondence, the, the fact that like you said, you can't just sneak this sneak heart muscle into into a into a host. I mean, for for non-Catholic uh, uh, Christians listening, it, it, the host for is often a fairly small sized thing. It's not like this this thing you can just kind of uh, you know manipulate and still manage to have that thing have any kind of form still, right? Be, be solid and be be intact. Like you can't you can't manipulate that very very easily. And I mean, you, you can't really sneak, sneak somebody's. I mean, whose is it? For, for one thing, right? The, the heart muscle, or the, or the 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 flesh, or the or the blood. That that's not easily uh, snuck into, right? It's not an easy miracle to try and hoax. For one thing, I don't think, right? Yeah, and, and in the the case specifically of the 1996 Buenos Aires miracle, uh, which is truly remarkable, uh, the the scientists from uh, New York who investigated it. He, he found uh, white blood cells on it, which uh, white blood cells should be not be present. And I think, uh, you know, on a dead tissue sample, you will never find white blood cells. And, um, and one of the comments was, in order to get this heart muscle, the person would have had to have been killed or it would have killed them to, to get this sample from them. So uh, from that part of the heart. So I don't know, all the, all these things are pretty, pretty remarkable. I'll be excited to, to be working on this book and to get that out there. And hopefully that, that opens up a few eyes because I think it's, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah. And in the year of course, in the time of Eucharistic revival, how important is that to, to, to bolster the faith and, and to encourage Catholics and non-Catholics to look into the faith and go, you know what, this, this, this is happening here. Like, what, what, you know, what, what's going on? There's, there's recently, like, right in the news report of of uh, of miraculous multiplying of a host. Right, this is under investigation, uh, by, by the bishop, right? But these kinds of things are 
gosh, they're they're interesting to to look at, especially when the evidence begins to pile up and begins to corroborate. Right, I'm a huge Shroud of Turn fan. One of the early episodes of this show four years ago, I had a a, a, a Shroud expert on the show talking about the Shroud of Turn, and uh, that for me was a little, you know. Uh, uh, maybe a guilty pleasure of me to have her on the show to indulge myself because I love it so much and listeners it turns out also love that too and you know the the, the correspondence right the, the when those kind of things interact and like the, you know, the blood sample on the, on the the shroud matches the blood type of of use of miracles you know when the when the veil, the veil right uh, matches the some things on the shroud like these things correspond these different miraculous items correspond I mean it begins to paint this this crazy narrative that gosh something bigger is at work here like maybe these maybe these Catholics have something you know going on and I, and I think that's going to cause people right if we're thinking why miracles would still happen today to go okay we can't explain this I got to Think more deeply with that. I got. I got to look more deeply. I, I can't just discount this religion as superstition when you know even science is showing me that there's something going on here, right? Yeah, exactly. I think again, cracking the door open and saying, yeah. "I can't just walk away. I've got to. I've got to find out if there's something to it." So, um, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of potential with miracles to inspire people to to learn more. Yeah. Okay. Miraculous icons, images, weeping statues, and things. Those. That that's that's fringy, right? That's the kind of thing that you hear Jesus appearing in, in toast sometimes, right? Or like these things that that I'm thinking of the, the Simpsons way back when would would poke fun at these kind of things, right? The idea that oh my gosh, I saw Jesus in a piece of toast and the way that it burned or something, right? The statue is crying here, but these things actually happen, Michael. <laughs> like these yeah, and are investigated. I friends right? try to play a joke on me, you know, burn my toast a yeah. certain way to see if I call the Vatican. Um, but yeah, no, it's. Um, you know, I think that there's there's a, a wide variety of things out there. The you know, talk about the the Virgin Mary toast, and you know, strangely in that case, the woman from Florida she saw toast and sold it to eBay on eBay, or, or saw the Mary on toast and then sold it to eBay or casino. I can't remember and made ten thousand dollars, but. <laughs> As a result, she was introduced to a Catholic priest, and she ended up becoming Catholic as a result. So, <laughs> you know, amazing. God can work in mysterious wow. ways, including toasts. Yeah. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, these these cases of uh, Akaropoita or, you know, um, sorry, pareidolia, you know, where people see things in the clouds or in toast or whatever it is, you know. People who are fans of Walt Disney see Mickey Mouse in the clouds, you know, and Catholics see the Virgin Mary. So, you know, our our, our minds are preconditioned to look for patterns, you know, of, of things that are familiar and, and, and pleasant to us. So, you know, I, de I definitely understand that, that science there, that uh, these things aren't necessarily real miracles, but God works in mysterious ways for people. And, you know, if, if things bring people to, to faith, you know, who are we to discount them? But uh, but those are definitely not the, the types of miracles that I, I dig into. <laughs> But things like like statues weeping. Do you do you do a statues weeping? Because that that's that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy, and um, you know there are cases from around the world, and I think Greece and Russia are famous for for those. And you know we even had a case here in the United States in Hobbs, New Mexico. I don't know if you're familiar with this one, but 
Uh, this was pre-pandemic. Uh, this was reported in the Washington Post. Uh, there's a church of Our Lady of Guadalupe and with a bronze statue of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I actually uh, went to Mexico and, and was in the foundry that made that statue. And I talked to the, the sculptor and creator of the statue. And they said that they, they produce hundreds or thousands of statues of similar style, similar different sizes, but it's the only one that's ever wept tears they call her la milagrosa the miracle worker and so um but yeah this happened i think on four occasions in mex in new mexico and you can go on youtube you can see it happening and you know it's uh they captured it on film and they got the tears from it and the local bishop investigated and said no natural explanation of course there are no messages associated with the weeping statue but i don't know i think uh on some level, if if you've ever seen your own mother cry, yeah, you have to reflect yeah. on what you're doing wrong, you know, to cause your mom to cry. So, um, you know, they're complicated uh, in their own way. But, yeah, I think there's, you know, there's been some remarkable weeping statues in the United States. Uh, Rosa Mystica is a famous uh, duplication of uh, weeping statues around the world, which is, and then also uh, the Seton Miracles uh, on the East Coast. Uh, we've had some various cases here in the United States, but... This is something that's happened worldwide. We don't always know why or what was happening. Some statues bleed. Some statues are, have human tears. Some have water. Some have oil. Why doesn't God just stick to just one <laughs> substance? All miracles are complicated, as I like to say. They all require a little faith. So, uh, but, but this stuff happens. And, um, yeah, it, it's hard to ignore it when you see the preponderance of claims. Even yeah. if a fraction of them are, are real, then we're still dealing with something. Yeah, absolutely. And I keep thinking that even if a fraction of any of these things are real, right? even if one Eucharistic miracle is real or one statue is weeping, that's still a statue. That's still a Eucharistic miracle that, that's happened. And how do we have to explain that in some way? And I guess the... I mean, the the question or pushback could be, well, we don't science can't explain it yet, but it but it will in the future. This is something happening, not miraculous, just regular science, but rules you don't quite understand yet. I mean, you're now you're a, you're an engineer, you're a man of science. How do how do you push back against that kind of a you know agnostic approach? Like, oh, we just don't understand it yet. Yeah, I mean, I think especially with healing miracles, uh, that's a legitimate comment because. Yeah you know, can the mind heal the body, for example, you know, is, is there, is that such a thing? And uh, by the numbers, these healings are very small, especially even at Lourdes, you get so many millions of people going there. And then you have a, even if you have thousands of cures by percentage, it's a small number. So what if, what if these little blips are something else, you know, and, and that, and that's okay. Um, you know, I, I have, uh, I have no problem with things like placebo effect and other, other ways that healings can happen. But I think when you take miracles as a whole and these various categories of miracles and various styles of miracles and uh, throughout history uh, that they've happened, countries all over the world, even if you discount 99% of them, there's still a lot of things out there that you can't explain. And, uh, and they don't just happen randomly. They're, they're sort of uh, answers to prayer and they are things related to the saints and related to the Eucharist. So these are, these these all have connections to God, so um, you know it's it's hard to hard to hand wave around all of them and say there's some kind of uh, mysterious solution that we don't really know about. Yeah, yeah, and and of course, again, you know, you can have miracles in other other I don't know faith groups, other religions. You know, I I this is I mean it's a complicated question. I've heard people like Jimmy Aiken, Catholic Answers, tackle this before, and and you know he'll say yeah it, that that's possible. The God would would 
provide miracles to other people in other places who wouldn't necessarily be be Catholic. But there are there are undeniably Catholic miracles that are happening attached to saints, attached to the Eucharist, attached to these things that really require that that demand you know some some answers or or just to kind of ignore them, right? Or say, well, he doesn't understand yet. The science is beyond us. We'll, we'll get it someday, right? That's, the, I guess, the element of faith there, right? That, it, that these things require a kind of answer. And the answer could be just agnostic. I don't know. I don't understand why this is happening. Or, you know, or it could be, okay, I'm going to believe this is because this is the God of, of the Catholic faith doing this, right? You know, agnosticism is lazy on some level. And... <laughs> You know, there, there's this whole thing that, you know, we can all kind of go to sleep at night, but then we're all going to die. You know, that's that's a, that's something that happens. There's there's something, you know, there's there's an eternal reality that has to be uh, grappled with uh, for every person. So, you know, being lazy isn't the answer in my book. You know, I my for me, I've gone the opposite way of, you know, I'm digging into it. I'm trying to get all the answers to all these crazy things and trying not to go to sleep on these things because, you know, I don't want I don't want the lazy answer of saying, you know, who knows? It might be. It might not be. I want to know, you know, and uh, and for the things that I've seen, the things that I've experienced, the things that I've, I've learned, I cannot not believe. I have to believe. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, and I have to share what I've learned. So that's that's what motivates me a little bit. Yeah, okay. I want to ask you two more questions. And the, the first one, the second one will be your favorite, maybe, Marian apparition. Maybe it probably, it probably, maybe I already know the answer to this one. Uh, but before that, I want to ask you maybe your favorite miracle in general. Is there, a, is there one that, if you had to pick... This would be your favorite kind of miracle that you've investigated that you've really enjoyed and just kind of stuck stuck with you. Uh, I'm going to give you the Padre Pio miracle because okay. you're a Padre Pio fan. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, there's there's many many healing miracles out there that are just incredible. Uh, people who have you know, on my radio show, I just I love being able. You know, I, I interview all kinds of people, and my, but my favorite guests are the people who have had these insane miracles. People who have been blind and they can he, they can see. Or uh, Robert Gutherman from Philadelphia, the 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 boy who had an ear infection, the bones were eaten out of his ear, and they prayed to Catherine Drexel, and uh, through her intercession, you know. Not only does he get his hearing back, but the bones grow back in his ear. Pretty incredible. Um, so I love talking to the real people who have had this stuff happen. And uh, I think my favorite miracle story is that of Vera Calandra. Uh, she was this uh, young girl uh, who was born um, in this. This would be in the 1960s. And uh, her mother, uh, you know, saw that she was, she was sick and dying and, 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 you know, they, they went and saw all these doctors and, um, you know, they, she didn't know what to do. And she thought her two year old, uh, girl was going to die. And, uh, you know, she talked to friends and, and they said, you know, there's this, uh, might be saint or this future saint who's, uh, who lives in Italy. His name is Padre Pio. You know, you should go see Padre Pio and see if he can cure your daughter. And so, um, you know, I think that she uh, she goes to the doctors and then and says to the doctors, I want to fly to Italy and I want to get blessed by this priest. And the doctors say, well, you know, your daughter is going to die in the airplane if you do that. And they said, if you if you uh, if you before you go, 
you need to have a, your daughter has to have a surgery and uh, her bladder needs to be removed. I don't, I don't know the science of that, why that was important, but so she was hooked up to these tubes with, uh, with no bladder and uh, her mother took her on an airplane to see Padre Pio. And strangely enough, this is 1968. Um, right before she left, she had a vision of Padre Pio who was said to say, come quickly. And so she jumped on the airplane, got to Italy and she met Padre Padre Pio, they said the a meeting was arranged and Padre Pio blessed the child. And uh, then they went back home, uh, back to the United States. And uh, she went back to the doctor and uh, the doctor looked at her and they, I guess they did whatever kind of tests or x-rays or, and it turns out that the bladder grew back. A uh, rudimentary bladder grew back in the place of the one that was removed. And uh, I've spoken to Vera Calandra. Now she's uh, she's grown up, of course, uh, from being born in the 1960s. And she helps run that National Center of Padre Pio that you referenced yourself. And um, I interviewed her for the Miracles of Padre Pio program that I did for EWTN. And she's a healthy woman now and you know she helps run that run that incredible shrine there and you know i I think the skeptics who hear this they say oh yeah yeah that whatever doctor you know said he removed his bladder the bladder he must have removed something else he must have been some some kind of hack you know he didn't know what he was doing or they couldn't they couldn't uh figure out that a new bladder was there they didn't have the technology the doctor who uh did the surgery was c everett coop the future Surgeon General of the United States. Um, So, I don't know. It's an insane miracle. I mean, bladders don't grow back. We all know that. And what's so interesting is this happened in 1968. And, uh, you know, that vision received by the mother of Vera Calandra was come quickly. It's because when they returned to the United States uh, from that blessing, Padre Pio died. So they caught him right before he died, and that that miracle happened because they saw him. So, I don't know. Padre Pio is my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite uh, modern miracle working saint. But mm. I don't know. I just love that story. It's insane. I, I, you can't get around it. It's it's pretty incredible. <laughs> so this is mercifully in high definitions. So listeners can see that there are tears in my eyes, Michael, because I have uh, also interviewed Vera on this um, program. Okay, mm. which I think is amazing. You didn't you didn't know this when you told me th- th- this story because after I got that email, I wrote back to Nick Gaboni, who is the, the yeah, CEO yeah, yeah. of the Modern Pio Center. I was going to say, was that and Nick who wrote you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. And we're, we've kept in touch since then. And and I I said, hey, why don't you come on the show and tell your story? He goes, well, I I can I can come on this this the show. I'm going to bring my Vera as well. And so. You know, <laughs> Three years ago, I think uh, probably next week, I had Nick and, and Vera on the show to, to tell to tell that story, uh, which I think is <laughs> amazing. Of all the stories you could have told, uh, uh-huh. like again, uh, Padre Pio maybe giving us both a little rib in the you know uh, elbow in the ribs or something here. That's I think that's how he works in my life at least. I don't know about you, yeah. right? To 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 tell that story, right? That's that's full circle for me. 
<laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one. I, I, you know, there's lots of miracle stories to to talk about, but uh, but yeah, that's, that's that's an incredible one. Yeah, that's amazing. And again, you know, Padre Pio giving us a little a little bit of a a jab there, as he does. I I, I love that. I love that, and I love uh, the the patron of this podcast, at least certainly, uh, if not my <laughs> my existence. Padre Pio is a, a a favorite of mine. I love that. That that's awesome, Michael. Okay, one more thing, and it's your favorite. Then maybe Marian apparition. I mean, because again, like you know, Padre Pio, the saints, Mary. These are the things that that, that require. Uh, a paradigm shift for many listeners who aren't already Catholic. Because why would God allow these things to happen? Why would God answer the prayers of a saint, right? Why would he allow that amazing miracle to happen? Why would he, why, why is Mary so important if she is as, as, as I believe as a Protestant, you know, the, the, the person who, who Christ was born from, but that was the end of her role, right? That's how we saw her, which again, it, it, that's silly in hindsight. <laughs> doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's how we saw her, right? But so, she must be more if God is, you know, she's appearing places, right? These are the, those those paradigm-shifting kind of faith earthquake-making moments. So what's your favorite uh, version of that? Yeah, thanks. I mean, I think that, unfortunately, it's the obvious one. Uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe is my favorite okay. because of a conversion <laughs> yeah, story yeah, in my own yeah. family. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been to Mexico myself, and I've seen that tilma and I've uh, been able to interview the the bishop there and uh, and Monsignor Chavez, the uh, the postulator for Juan Diego. If people haven't seen my show uh, Guadalupe Mysteries on EWTN, uh, you can go to EWTN RC to see that. That's probably my, one of my favorite projects that we've ever worked on, and uh, got to interview all the scientists who have examined the tilma and some of the remarkable qualities of the tilma. They're they're kind of mind blowing. So I don't know. The Guadalupe story is really great. Just uh, you know that you know. Juan Diego, the guy who doesn't want to be uh, yeah, yeah. involved, you know, but he gets tapped on the shoulder like we all do in some ways by God, right, to, to step up and evangelize. So I think I love that. And then the the everlasting image, that image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, not made from human hands. They don't know how it was made, all the remarkable characteristics uh, that have been found in that uh, in that tilma. And then the conversion of so many people. I mean, so many converts even today. You have, you know, uh, nine million uh who can Aztecs after in the decade after Guadalupe events in, 19, in 1531, according to the historian Moda Linnea. So, I mean, that's, and then there's still people today who, who have a devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe all throughout Mexico and the world, including myself. Um, so yeah, that's, that's always my favorite. And, you know, I think that people need to get to know Our Lady of Good Help here in, in Champion, Wisconsin, in the United States. I think that's important. And, you know, one of my favorite aspects of my show, I'm plugging my show again, Explore with the Miracle Hunter on Saturdays. Uh, that's at uh, 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. Uh, each week we do a different uh, miracle story from around the world. And a lot of those are Marian miracle stories. And I pick the most famous, you know, mysteries and marvels in history, as I like to say. And the constant feedback I get are from, you know, faithful Catholics who watch the show. They said, I never heard of that yeah, one before. Yeah. I never heard of Borang and Bono and Pont Maine and any of the others, you know, many that we've done. I think we've done 30 episodes so far. And uh, people always write in and they say, how come I never heard this story of this approved Marian apparition? And um, I don't know if you've caught any of the episodes, but one of the aspects I'm so proud of are the recreations in those uh, episodes. I think that, you know, we all have in our mind's eye or maybe we've seen an old drawing in an old book of 
of what it might look like to see a vision of the Virgin Mary. But I work with such a talented team and and uh, they they really make these come to life in a really beautiful way. And I put them up against anything you see in Hollywood. I think that I think my team is so good and uh, they, they really uh, help you visualize what a vision of Mary might look like. And so I encourage people to check that out because there are some really cool stories about uh, visions of Mary. Absolutely. All your stuff is amazing, Michael. I, I said before at the start of the show, I've loved your stuff for a, a long, long time. These are the kind of things that j- just draw people in and, and questions I had like this, that how do I explain this? You know, digging deeper into like the archives on, on sites like yours just further confused me and so led me eventually to <laughs> ask the right questions and, and become Catholic. And so I hope this will serve as, as a, a jumping point for, you know, f- first of all, to encourage faithful Catholics to, you know, to love and, and dig deeper in their faith, but the those who are on the outside to kind of pause and go, okay, well, how do I ex- explain these things? Uh, where do you want to point listeners, uh, viewers uh, towards to, to, you mentioned your amazing show. It is fantastic. Uh, effects included, like the recreations are awesome. It's, it's, it's awesome stuff. Um, and I love the kind of thing. I, I love these amazing miracle stories. So, so I'm a sucker for everything that you do, but where else do you want to point people towards to define and follow the stuff that you're doing, Michael? Yeah, so I think that you can find everything on MiracleHunter.com if that's your one stop. If you like social media, I've been posting a lot on Instagram these days, and it's been really exploding for me. So I encourage people to find me at Miracle.Hunter at, on Instagram. Um, and then if you if you like, uh, like I say, I love interviewing these people who have had miracles, and it sounds like you, you enjoy that as well. So uh, on my radio show, people can go on uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time on uh, Saturdays. And then also my uh, my shows on, on Saturday as well, Explore with the Miracle Hunter. But MiracleHunter.com is the place to find all the details and all that stuff. But uh, I really appreciate you having me on tonight. Um, and it's... Uh and it's always good to talk to somebody who likes talking about miracles. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I mean, personally and professionally, this has been an absolute treat for me. I hope listeners also love this, and I'm, I'm sure they will. And I want to say, Michael, God bless you and the fantastic work you're doing for the church. And, and thank you so much for being on here. Thank you. Guys, I love miracle stories. So for me, this episode is just one of those ones that I look back on, I think, forever and listen to over and over again because I love those kind of fantastic things. And I hope you do too. Let me know. Reach out to uh, on, on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter, at Cordial Catholic, or on Facebook, The Cordial Catholic. Let me know what you think of, of this show. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Uh, or email me, cordialcatholic at gmail.com, and let me know what you think about this amazing guest and these kind of cool miracle stories. I'd love to hear from you, and I love hearing from people all the time, so do reach out on those different ways. If you want to get in touch with the show, I'd love to know where you are, where you're listening from, why you listen. It's always a treat to hear from you, so thank you for reaching out and uh, supporting this show. If you want to support the show financially, you can head over to patreon.com slash cordialcatholic or paypal.me slash cordialcatholic to support the show financially. Different options there you can check out and explore. And if you are thinking of that, thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for, for praying for the show too and, and sharing the show with friends and family and those who you think might benefit from this show. That's really the whole point and purpose of this thing, right? To spread the message of Christ and his church. So please share the show and thank you to those who are already supporting and sharing the show week after after week. 
We're on YouTube at youtube.com slash thecordialcatholic. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please just pause and leave a rating or review because that helps push the podcast out to new people. Thanks for listening, guys. Please pray for me. Know that I'm praying for you too. Take care. Thanks for listening. Talk to you again next week, guys. (laughs) Pray for a miracle. Expect one too. Thanks a lot, guys, and God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.